Good morning. How's everybody doing? Excellent. My name is Lauren Palmer, and I get to wear a lot of hats around here for the past 10 years. Um, but one of my favorite ones to wear is the missions pastor. Um, and so it's a great honor for me to get to participate in what God is doing through this church and has been doing for decades all around the world. So uh, thank you for letting me share with you today. Uh, I'm excited about what God is doing through this church and through um, the people he's brought to us to get connected with. And uh, it's exciting. It's exciting what to hear um, more about God's heart, you know, and that's what we're going to be talking about today. Um, over the next couple of weeks, you'll get to hear some stories from people who are really involved in ministry in India. One of the reasons we picked India as the focus of our missions week this year uh, was because we're looking for local opportunities as the missions team, both things that are both global and local. And we've had some opportunities come to us to be able to partner with people who are doing really cool things in India, several thousand miles away. Um, but we're also aware that there's a large Indian population here in DFW that we can engage with. And so look at things about how we can engage our neighbors who come from India um, and, and opportunities to share Jesus with people right here um, in our Metroplex. So we're really excited about that. We hope you'll come and tune in, even if it's not something you're familiar with or super excited about already. Um, we think there are some really great opportunities for ways that God can use us both here and around the world. So Tune in next week live at 9 or 10.30. We've got a really great speaker coming, but for security reasons, we're not going to have a replay of that. So you can be online or in the room live, um, but catch that live next week. Um, I think you'll be really encouraged by some of the stuff that God is doing around the world, um, especially in India. So we're going to jump in today to kind of the scriptural foundation. Why do we do what we do as a church for missions, and particularly kind of this year, our emphasis, how is God calling us? to be involved. And so we're going to look at the gospel of John. Every gospel has a great commission statement. And John, it comes at the end of the book, like it does in most of the gospels. And this is the night of the resurrection. So that morning, Jesus has come back from the dead. The disciples still really aren't sure what going, that is going on. So they're together in a locked room, and Jesus just kind of burst in. And so he starts with, peace be with you, because they're a little freaked out. And so, um, but, but as he shows him the scars and he says again, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. Um, and so this is a very broad <laughs> statement, right? There are a lot of ways we can think of the ways uh, Jesus was sent and the works Jesus did and what those implications are for us. And there's a lot of ways we can unpack this. But I want to go by jumping back a few days in time uh, to the night of the Last Supper, right before Jesus goes to the cross. And in John chapters 13 through 17 is what we call the farewell discourse, which is kind of Jesus' last words to his disciples as he's preparing them for what's about to happen um, and him going to the cross and dying. And, but that's not the end of the story, but they, they can't wrap their heads around it yet. So there's a lot of insight here to the paradigm that Jesus had in his relationship with the Father, how Jesus was sent and how he's sending the disciples and how he's sending us. So we're just gonna hit the highlights um, there's not enough time to go through all five chapters in details, as much fun as that would be. Um, I've heard a rumor that there's a game, and some of you might want to watch it, so we'll try to get out before that starts. Um, anyway, just kidding, just kidding. So we're going to start with uh, John chapter 13, verse 1. We will not be going verse by verse, but we are going to start here. So just the context for this. This is the, the night of the Passover. Um, it's the night of the Last Supper, and... 
Jesus is trying to prepare his disciples with the last things they need to know. They're about to be thrown into a confusing, traumatic situation. He's trying to get them ready for it. Um, But more than anything, he's trying to show them his love and who he's calling them to be and how he's calling them to kind of step into a new role as he's preparing to transition from his ministry on earth to not being on earth. So as we look at this first, it was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he showed them the full extent of his love. And so ultimately we'll see the full extent of his love on the cross. But even before that, Jesus is preparing them. And so we see Jesus wash his disciples' feet, which was kind of this humiliating, awkward thing for everybody but Jesus. That was something reserved for the lowest of the low. Um, You know, some Jews would only let Gentiles do that because it was too good even for Jewish people to do that. Um, And so this is, but Jesus is saying, you know, no matter what, um, you know, other people say about service, let me set the example of what service looks like, of what it looks like to lay down your life, even if you don't physically die, that we are called to lay down our lives for each other. And so that's kind of the setting here. And so Jesus goes on to talk about how he's going to be betrayed and he's going to be killed, but that's not the end of the story. And he's going to send the Holy Spirit in his place. Um, and the disciples aren't really tracking with it yet. They're kind of bewildered. And... Um, So I want to look at John chapter 15. This is right in the middle of this discourse, and this is kind of the heart of the message. And so this is the passage about the vine and the branches. And so Jesus says, I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. And so this is kind of, you know, summary of the gospel in a sense, that for us to be in Christ is the opportunity to do more than we ever thought possible. But outside of Jesus, you know, we don't have a chance at really making an impact that will count, that bear fruit, that will last. And so um, go further on into this, this passage in John 15. is really kind of where I want to focus and kind of the theme of what we're going to talk about today. So verses 9 through 17, Jesus is kind of setting them up to understand a new kind of relationship he's going to have with the disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you keep my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commands and remain in his love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends if you do what I command. I no longer call you servants, Because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I have learned from my father, I have made known to you. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. So and so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. This is my command: love each other. And so we see that um, what Jesus wants from us is he wants our friendship. He wants our relationship. He wants for us to be friends with God. Now, to be clear, this is not a peer buddy-buddy thing. I mean, he's still the king of the universe. You know, the, the writers of the New Testament still refer, refer to themselves as servants and slaves of Christ. Like, there's, there's still reverence here. But God reaches out to us and says, I want to be your friend. It's not that we tell God, hey, let's be best friends. God reaches out to us, you know, and this is what God has always done. 
from, from creation and walking with us in the garden and wanting a relationship with us um, to what we see at the very end of time, what we know is coming in the new creation where God once again dwells with his people. So this is God's desire to be friends with us, with every human alive that's ever lived. And so the idea of friendship, I think, is important because sometimes when we talk about the love of God, I think we can kind of over-spiritualize it or we don't quite wrap our heads around what it means. Um, But friendship is something that's more concrete, right? Like we know what it is to be friends with somebody. We know what it is to spend time and hang out and be with somebody just because you like them, not because you have to like log hours at work or you're trying to get utilitarian use out of them. You know, you like being with people so you hang out, you know? And there's a comfort that comes from having that relationship develop over time with shared experiences. You know, when you can go over to somebody's house and raid their fridge, you know, and not worry about the laundry that's on the floor, you know, that's when you know you're friends, right? Like when there's a comfort level that you don't have to have expectations involved. And so that's what God wants with us, to have these interactions with us that are not, you know, workspace, that are not, we're trying to earn God's approval, um, but that we're real with him, that we share our hopes and our dreams and our fears just like we would with somebody we trust. And so those kinds of relationships are what God wants. And so this friendship idea helps us kind of wrap our heads around, what does it mean by God's love? You know, it's not this super floaty spiritual thing out here, but it's, it's a practical thing that God wants to walk with us and speak to us about our everyday lives, just like we would with our friends. And so it's really about being with Jesus. And the John 14 passage we read earlier, you know, Jesus is talking about, you know, I'm going away, but I'm preparing a place for you. And they're like, okay, we need directions. What's happening here? And, and Jesus is like, no, 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 it's not about the place. It's about that I want to be with you. And I'm telling you that no matter what's about to happen with the cross, that I'm making a way for us to be together. It's about being together. Thomas, you don't need directions. You don't need, you know, the next five years mapped out for you. You don't need a life plan. You need to be with me. You need to abide with me. You need to know that I am the way. I am the truth. I am your life. And that is what defines who you are. That is what, that's all you need, you know. When we are in Christ, when we have his presence with us, that's what gives life purpose and meaning. And so it's being friends with God, being with God, not feeling like we have to do things for God, but participating in who God is and participating in the things that are meaningful to God. What God cares about becomes what we care about because we're his friends. You know, and so Jesus tells us that this relationship we have between God is not just about me and Jesus. It should be evidenced in our relationship with others. And specifically, it should be evidenced in our relationship with each other in the church. And so Jesus tells his disciples in John 13, 34, and 35, you know, I give you a new command, which is kind of not new, but the level Jesus takes it to is definitely new. Love one another. As I have loved you, going to the cross to die for you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. So the mark of who we are as a church, as Christians, is supposed to be demonstrated by our love. Um... I don't know how much time you spend on social media. I don't know if you watch Christians interacting with each other on social media, um, but it's pretty bad, y'all. Like, it's, it's cringy how we interact with each other. And uh, that's a terrible, terrible witness to the world. And you hear it. You hear people say, well, I'm okay with Jesus, but Christians are hypocritical, or the church is, has been mean to me. Um, and for a lot of reasons, there's a lot of times that's true. 
And that's on us to do a better job, not just this congregation, but the church globally, to say we're going to be like Jesus. We're going to demonstrate the love of God first in our relationships so that when the world looks at us, they don't see a bunch of bitter, fighting people. They see the love of Jesus. They see the life that Jesus offers us. And if we were to actually do that, there would be a whole lot more people actually interested in the life Jesus offers. Um, Because when we look at the Gospels, the offers of joy and hope and peace um, are almost too good to be true, it sounds like, you know. And when we don't live that out, then it reemphasizes that, that this couldn't really be good, that, that God's promises aren't actually able to be experienced. And that's just not the case. God wants to give those things to us as we walk in a relationship with him. But if we're not doing that, if we're not friends with God in the church, the world will never see what that's supposed to look like. And so Jesus even takes it a step further beyond just loving each other, which is hard enough, right? But he says, I want them to be in unity. In John 17, Jesus is praying for the disciples. And then he prays for all those who are come to come next. He prays for us. And he says, you know, I pray that those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they be also in us that the world may believe you have sent me. So the church is supposed to be as unified as the Trinity is unified so that the world can believe in Jesus. How are we doing on that? <laughs> Little rough, right? Um, and... You know, I think it's, it's important to understand that unity is not uniformity. Like, we don't have to be, you know, mass-produced robots. That's not the idea here. And when you look at the disciples, I can guarantee you that, you know, Simon the Zealot and Matthew the tax collector and Andrew the fisherman didn't all think the same way. Um, they had different life experiences. They had different views on things. But what they agreed on was really important. They agreed on Jesus, right? Jesus was the most important thing. They agreed that Jesus had changed their life. And that the love of Jesus was more important to them than all the other issues. And no matter what they disagreed on, what they agreed on had to be the uniting factor. You know, and our society has become increasingly polarized, you know, in the past several years. And that's crept into the church to the point where we're most likely to, you know, huddle up with people that are like us, you know. And the, the church is kind of tends to fall into these traps too sometimes. And, and instead of focusing on our ideologies, whether it's politics or medicine or socioeconomic issues, we need to focus on our theology. What unites us? Jesus is what unites us. The love of Jesus is what should motivate us for everything that we do as Christians. And we may live that out in different ways. We may not even agree with each other on how to live that out. Um, but the love of Jesus needs to be the motivating thing that drives all of this. And so when we are friends with God, we're friends in the church, it's because we're for the world. It's because we know that God loves the world. God loves everyone in the world. And that he's calling us to live out who we are in relationship with God so that the world can see that. And so um, the early church did this really well. You know, they took care of widows and orphans. They took care of those who are on the margins of society. And I think that's part of the reason the church exploded in those early years is because they saw the love of God lived out. And the world said, I, I want that. And so that's our challenge as we look at who we are, how we interact with each other, is to be friends with God in the church for the world. 
You know, I want to jump back to the story of Thomas for a minute. We read about him earlier, and he's asking Jesus, you know, I need to know more specifics. I need to know the way. You know, and Thomas kind of gets a bad rap sometimes. You know, doubting Thomas is kind of what, what it gets called, you know. And we don't do the same for the other disciples. You know, we don't call it blaspheming Peter or, you know, James and John, the pyromaniacs. Like, there are other things we could, you know, call the disciples, and we tend to not even do that. But Thomas was in the wrong place at the wrong time, and so he gets tagged as the doubter. Um, I think he was just more practical. We see in other accounts that he really was faithful to Jesus. And from church history, we know that after Pentecost, after Jesus resurrected, after he was filled with the Spirit, Thomas takes off for India. And he preaches the gospel in India, and he gives his life in India. And there are churches still to this day that trace their spiritual heritage back to Thomas, you know. And so one moment of failure should never define us, because God always has more for us, and God always has a plan to use us beyond what, you know, our circumstances may be right now. And so when we look at Thomas, it's like, okay, well, if the gospel made it to India like 2,000 years ago, why are we talking about India now? Well, here's the thing. India is a really big place with a lot of different cultures. You know, it's one political country, but there are thousands of cultures within it. You know, it's a whole subcontinent, so it's not like it's, you know, some of the other countries you may see. So when we talk about India, we're talking about thousands of different cultures. Today, there are over 1,600 languages spoken. And when we look at this, each group is going to have its own culture and its own history, and it will need to receive the gospel in a different way that makes sense for that culture. And so we call these people groups. If you've been around here before, um, you've probably heard us talk about unreached people groups, and we keep talking about it because we think it's really important for us to understand. And there are about 17,000 of these people groups in the world today um, that have their own kind of unique history and culture and language. Um, you can kind of think of them as, as tribes, you know, in different parts of the world will have different names. But over 7,400 of these are unreached, which means they don't have access to the gospel. They probably don't have access to scriptures. There's not churches they can drive down the street and go to if they're curious. There's not Christians who are showing them the love of Jesus. And so unless we as the church pick up and go to them, they're not going to experience the love of Jesus. And so that's our challenge as we look at India one of the reasons we're focusing on India is over 2,100 of those 7,400 people groups are in India. It's a huge place that 96% of the 1.38 billion people um, need to know Jesus, need to have access to Jesus, and they're not going to have it unless we choose to take it to them. Um, and it's not just us in the American church. There are churches in India doing this work. There are churches all over the world that contribute. But as the global church, we have to take responsibility for the people who haven't heard the gospel yet and won't hear it unless we take it to them. And so that can be kind of overwhelming when we look at the stats, when we, when we realize that 40% of the world, more than one in three people have no access to Jesus or the gospel you know, that can be a little depressing if we actually think about it. Um, and God's on the move. He's doing really cool things. But there's a lot of work that needs to be done. And Jesus has given that task to us as the church. He's asked us, as his friends, um, to be responsible for going into the world, making disciples of all the nations, of all 17,000 of those people groups. And so that's the challenge that lies before us, is what will that look like for us? And I know you may be thinking, like, 
okay, Lauren, what do you want me to do with that? Like, there's, you know, I can't reach three billion people. Um, and you're right, that's not something that one person has to be responsible for. You and I can't fix the brokenness of the world. And that, it really is God's mission. It's what he's doing. Um, Jesus is holding all things together. He's making all things new. He is the one that will accomplish it. It's in his power. It's only in his grace that anyone comes to faith. But he's called us as his friends who are in Christ, who have the presence of God with us wherever we go to be a part of taking the gospel to the places where it's not yet. And so... When we look at this, you know, I've heard some people recently, you know, in the past few weeks saying, you know, I wish Jesus would just hurry up and come back. Like, the world's a mess. Like, the pandemic's awful. I'm over it. Like, there's enough suffering in the world. Like, Jesus just needs to come back. Why can't he just hurry up and come back? Like, anybody ever felt that way? Like, yes, 100%, totally am with that sentiment. But at the same time, I also know from Scripture that Jesus has given us a job to do, and we're not anywhere close to finishing yet. You know, and Jesus tells us in Matthew 24, 14, he just spits it out really plain. The gospel of the kingdom will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all the nations, to all the people groups, all 17,000, and then the end will come. You know, so based on that and looking at the numbers, I don't expect Jesus to come back in my lifetime, you know? Like, that's just the reality of it. And that can be a little bit, you know, kind of dark and depressing at times um, when it's like, well, you know, what's the point? Things are just going to get worse. Um, but God's on the throne. He's doing things, and he's given us the promise that this mission will be accomplished, that he will have all tongues, all tribes, all nations represented before his throne, worshiping before the throne of God. And so what do we do? You know, we don't have to be responsible for the whole thing, but we need to be responsible to what God puts in front of us, right? Um, and as friends of God, what does that mean for, for us? And I think that we need to be aware of a few things. Um, you know, for some of us, we will be called to go, you know? That's the reality that's been the mission of the church since the very beginning. God calls some people to pick up and move somewhere else to take the gospel where it's not. That's not all of us, though. And for a lot of us, we won't be called to go, but we have a, a, a commitment to those who we know who are going to support them, to help them with finances, to give them emotional support, to provide resources that they need, to pray for them, you know? This is a, a massive spiritual battle that's not gonna be won without prayer, you know? And so there are things that we can do, regardless of where we live, to be involved in what God's doing everywhere. But there's also things we can do right here in DFW with reaching our neighbors who are internationals. You know, you can talk to Ashley and Mary Beth and all these students. You know, we're so glad you guys are here with us today. And talk to them about how you can get involved, how you can become a friendship partner, how you can get connected with students who are here. Engaging with international students is really strategic because often those students will go back to their countries and they'll be in neighborhoods that you and I will never visit. <laughs> but if we share the love of Jesus with them here, they can take the love of Jesus back to where they are from originally. But there's also all kinds of internationals all around us, you know, that have moved here for one reason or another. Some have come as refugees, some have just come for better opportunities, like all of our families did at some point. And for us, we can say, okay, who are the people around me? Who are my neighbors? Who are my coworkers? Who are the people in my school that might not ever encounter Jesus in their normal circles? How can I become a friend of someone who has a different culture, who has a different background? What does that look like? 
Um, and so there's some practical ways we can do that. We're going to have some training on how to talk to people uh, from India, how to understand their culture and background. I'd love for you guys to come to that. But there are other ways, you know, make space in your life to have people over for dinner and just talk to them, get to know them, hear their stories. You know, maybe it's going to a restaurant or a gas station every week and getting to know the people and learning their names and asking about their kids and, and getting to know them as friends. You know, we're not trying to make projects out of people, right? We're not trying to just check some boxes. We're trying to make friendships, like real lasting friendships. People know when we're trying to sell them something. We're not trying to sell them something. We're trying to say we're friends with God and that's changed my life and I wanted to transform your life too because the love of God transforms everything. And so as we look towards that, um, you know, there are things that God does that we don't, we're not even aware of. You know, 40 years ago, this church started ESL classes for Cambodian refugees, you know, and there wasn't any long-term master plan on that. It was just like, these people need help. But God had a plan to say, okay, I'm going to take that, and I'm going to turn that around, and I'm going to send Chiv and Imra back, and we're going to start churches in Cambodia, you know. Um, and I can't help but wonder, does God have a plan for planting churches in Afghanistan in 40 years from the people that are coming here right now? You know, I think there are incredible things that God wants to do through us when we just reach out and say, God, wherever you need me, whatever that looks like, I'm going to be a friend. I'm going to show the love of Jesus to the people around me. I'm willing to step out of my comfort zone, whatever that looks like. You know, I'm an introvert. I don't make friends easily, but I've decided the Holy Spirit has to be an extrovert. So, hey, we're good, right? Um, so, no excuses, right? Um, so whatever it, for whatever it looks like for you, whatever God is calling you to do, um, we all have a role to play in, in helping see some of these numbers trend in the right direction. Um, it's not going to happen overnight, um, but we have the promise from God that he will make it happen, you know? We have this promise that no matter what happens, no matter what God asks us to sacrifice, it pales in comparison to what he's already given us. It pales in comparison to what he's done on the cross for us to show us his love. And so for us, you know, missions is not about just helping people who need it, right? There's need everywhere. That's not our motivating factor. We do missions because Jesus is worthy, because he is worthy to be worshiped by every tribe and every tongue and every nation and every people. He's worthy to hear the song of heaven sung across all the ages, across all the places that have ever been. And, and we get to have the privilege of participating in that and joining that song and hearing what God is doing um, just by being obedient, by sharing the love of Jesus, by taking the love that's transformed us and allowing that to flow out of our lives into the lives of others. So that's kind of the challenge before us. You know, there's a side to, to missions that's a little bit depressing just because the task is so huge, <laughs> And it's getting bigger every day as the birth rate keeps going up. But when we picked our, our vision statement as a church several years ago to fill every neighborhood with the good news of God's love, we picked a statement intentionally knowing that we wanted something that was bigger than something we could just do ourselves in the next five years. We wanted something that inspired us to trust God for something, you know, that only he could accomplish, you know, and in doing that, we align ourselves with the whole global church, knowing that it's only the whole church working in the whole world, bringing the whole gospel that will accomplish this. But it is through that, that the promise of God that all nations will worship before the throne, 
that he will do that, that we get to participate with him as his friends. He invites us to be friends of God in the church for the world. And so as we come to kind of the time in our service where we pause and we ask God to speak to us directly, I want to invite you to, to ask God a couple things. Um, you know, in this time, we kind of just take time to quiet our hearts, to hear what God would say to us individually, because we believe he speaks to us. And just ask God, what can I do to prioritize our friendship, my friendship with God? What are things I need to do this week to make that a priority? Because that's where it all starts, is our friendship with God. That has to be the foundation of everything we do. And then God, where are you calling me to be involved? Who can I befriend over this next year? Who can I engage? You may already have somebody in your head that you know you need to reach out to. You may not. God may bring them across your path. Um, but let's take a few minutes. Ask God, what do I need to do to be a better friend of God? And then how can I be a friend to the world?